Hello to all of our listeners out there and welcome to this very special edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, Associate Editor Holly Gilbert Stowell, and this is the Lightning Lightning Round Round podcast. For the month of August, we're doing things a little bit differently because I am currently out on maternity leave caring for a new baby girl. So I had the pleasure of putting together this quick and informative episode for all you listeners out there for this month. We're going to be joined by editors from the magazine talking about the three biggest takeaways from their August stories. So sit back, take a listen, and hope you enjoy. Up for round one, we have News and Trends Editor Mark Tarallo. Hi, Holly. I'm talking about my August news and trends on preventing sexual harassment in the workplace. And what really surprised me about this is that the ASIS Crime and Loss Prevention Council, they really are out front with this issue. I interviewed one of the members. They did a white paper recently called Sexual Victimization. And they say how, you know, it's a mistake not to consider sexual harassment as a workplace violence issue. It's a very serious issue, needs more attention. In the white paper, they endorsed the concept that some call it now sexual victimization, and they endorsed that as well. So they're really, you know, drawing some attention to it with their white paper and their work. What really stood out with me most is in interviewing Stephen Holloway, who is vice chair of the ASIS Crime and Loss Prevention Council. He's also a member of of the Healthcare Council. He helped prepare the sexual victimization white paper, but he also was saying how sexual harassment in the workplace, it really... There really needs to be a prevention program. It can't just be a one-time, okay, during orientation, you know, behave properly type thing. But um, really, you know, that it's reinforced periodically. Talk about what the protocol is, if it happens, who to report to, what the procedures are. Uh, training is what can be considered sexual harassment or sexual victimization. So really a program with many components and that's not just a one-time thing is really necessary. And that really stood out to me. I think the, the main takeaway for the reader is it's good to encourage these programs in your workplace. If you don't have a substantial program that's more than a one-off thing, talk to HR and see if it can be done. There's things like who would you report to? For instance, some workplaces have a hotline number, but a lot of people don't know the hotline number. They've never used it. They don't want to use it because they don't believe it's really anonymous. So all these things are worth talking about with HR, with leadership, and you know maybe uh, help get a program established at your workplace. So those are the three takeaways from my story. Thanks, Holly. <laughs> Next, in round two, we have assistant editor Lily Chapa. Hey, Holly. I'm here to talk about my August cover story on drug diversion. The biggest takeaway I saw when I started working on this story about drug diversion, I assumed that it would mean healthcare workers were stealing these controlled substances and selling them on the street. However, it turns out that the healthcare workers 
that are stealing these things are actually using them themselves. I was really surprised to find out about that. I guess it shouldn't be too surprising because addiction rates in the United States are around 8% nationally, but 15% for healthcare workers. So addiction is definitely there in these hospitals and facilities, and these people you know, have these drugs readily available to them and that they can pretty easily access. And these people are mostly caught when they get sloppy. So unfortunately, by the time they get caught, they've been doing this for maybe six months or more. And it's often hard to prove that these people are diverting or stealing these drugs versus just having sloppy practices, especially if they're very sneaky about it. One thing that really stuck out to me too, and it's rather alarming, is that these healthcare workers are also putting their patients in danger when they start diverting drugs for their own use. One person I spoke to said that security managers at hospitals should consider diversion a patient safety issue, not a theft issue. A pretty common scenario for the diversion itself is that, say, a nurse will go to get a syringe of pain medication for a patient, but she'll swap the syringe for one with just saline in it. And take the one with the pain medication for herself. Therefore, she's not only stealing the medication, but giving the patient saline instead of the drug they really need. In a worst-case scenario, they'll use the same syringe and affect patients with bloodborne diseases. I was also surprised to find out that there's no national agency, not even the Drug Enforcement Administration, that will track diverters, and therefore they can leave and go somewhere else and continue their practices. And for our final round, Associate Editor Megan Gates. Hey, Holly. Thanks for having me. And we're going to talk about three super awesome, interesting things that I discovered while researching for my August cybersecurity department on the 2017 Verizon Data Breach Incident Report. So the first one, we're going to talk about WannaCry ransomware, which made me, as a bad pun, want to cry because it happened the same week that FBI Director James Comey was fired, President Trump signed a cybersecurity executive order, then that Friday, WannaCry happened, and I was like, this is way too much happening in one week. But putting this piece together, I researched how the WannaCry ransomware attack was stopped, and that was really fascinating. It was actually by this cybersecurity blogger and researcher named Malwaretech. And he came back from lunch and saw that the UK's National Health Service had been hit by WannaCry. And he did his normal sort of standard operating procedure, which he wrote out in a blog post. He looked for unregistered or expired domains that belonged to active botnets and used them to point to a sinkhole that he created. A sinkhole is a server designed to capture malicious traffic and prevent control of infected computers by the criminals who infected them. Then they gathered data on the geographical distribution and scale of the infections. And then they reversed engineered the malware to see if there were any vulnerabilities in the code, which would allow malware tech to take over the malware botnet and prevent it from spreading. And so he did this whole process. He registered an unregistered domain for roughly $10 and effectively stopped the WannaCry ransomware attack. I highly recommend reading his full rundown on malwaretech.com because that's fascinating. The second thing that was really interesting from the Verizon data breach incident report itself, I was listening to a podcast with some people from Verizon talking about the findings of the report. Their global head of cybersecurity strategy and marketing, John Loveland, and their global security services executive director, Brian Sarton. And they were talking about how a lot of companies still have this perception that they're not going to be targeted by hackers for whatever reason. And that they also think that they have the basics covered when it comes to cybersecurity, but are still making really general kind of dumb mistakes, like not setting strong password requirements and sort of relying on, you know, how they've always done things. 
So that's how they're going to continue to do things when it comes to cybersecurity. And just really not taking into account, you know, what the risks are to their company. And I thought Brian Sarton had this great quote in the interview that I listened to him with. And he said, you know, whether it's design plans, medical records, or good old-fashioned payment card details, somebody somewhere will see it as their meal ticket and as an opportunity to get a hold of that, exploit vulnerabilities, find that data, get it out, exfiltrate it, and try to convert it into cash. Most cyber criminals aren't that fussy about who they steal from. So companies really need to consider like, hey, I am a target and I might need to reassess sort of my posture. And the third thing from the report that I thought was really interesting was the number of breaches that were related to cyber espionage. Verizon found that 21% of breaches in 2016 were related to espionage. 73% of those breaches used a combo of a social engineering attack, such as using a phishing email to install malware and get in. And we've seen this in private industry, particularly man manufacturing, where... Um, a competitor or another country might try to send a phishing email or hack into their system to steal intellectual property. But we're also seeing it now in sort of the public sector with attacks on elections, such as the French election, um, where Russian hackers, you know, tried to infiltrate Emmanuel Macron's campaign and were actually successful. So those were my three big takeaways. Thanks for having me, Holly, on the podcast. Well, thanks again for tuning in to this Lightning, Lightning Round, Round podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and let us know what you think. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or on SoundCloud. We'll be back in September with another special edition of the podcast talking about ASIS 2017 taking place in Dallas, Texas. And we'll give you some more updates on the event then. And please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Hope everyone is having an amazing summer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.